work with a church not too far from here. And I was at Church Street in Lewisburg, Tennessee, and I uh, directed a camp at Fall Creek Falls. And um, while I was directing there, the camp that we were at, uh, when we had baptisms, we had to go down this little gravel road uh, back to this little creek that was down there, and it had a little area that was deep enough for us to have some baptisms. And um, we had a day where we had a couple young ladies that wanted to be baptized, and uh, so we took the whole camp together and walked down this little gravel road and got down there uh, where the water was, and we baptized them. And we had taken several college students to be chaperones with us. We were blessed with a great, great college group. They were there with us. And I sent all the camp back up, all the campers, and told them what we were doing next and what to get ready for. And I looked across on the other side of the creek, and a bunch of our college students had gotten a big circle over there and were standing around something looking at it. So I went down to where there was a little bridge and crossed over and came back up. And as I came walking up, I I noticed I could see kind of through their legs that they were looking at this huge turtle. And uh, I don't know much about turtles, okay? Uh, I mean, I grew up in East Tennessee, um, and, and we had a pet turtle one time. We got him at the lake. Uh, we called him Flash, and he was like this big. And uh, he ate lettuce and died. That's kind of what happened. You know, I mean, there, there wasn't really major. He was really slow. He wasn't particularly dangerous. Um, I mean, that's really all the experience. I had gone to the Knoxville Zoo several times, and they had those big old giant turtles, and they ate like carrots and walked around. There was, there was nothing real fantastic about them. Um, they were just big, slow animals. And so when I saw this turtle, I thought, this is great. It was like Tuesday. I'm going to pick this thing up and take it back, and it'll be our mascot for the week. We'll have us a turtle that we all have here at camp. Yeah, the thing we remember, you know. Well, I said, somebody pick that turtle up and take it back. And all these college guys standing around said, I'm not touching that turtle. I said, and y'all are a bunch of sissies. Get out of the way. And I walk up behind this turtle, and I bend down, and I grab that thing. And I'm, I'm holding it like this. I kind of got my arms bent a little bit. It's pretty heavy. Good-sized turtle. Well, there again, I know very little about turtles. But I learned a whole lot about turtles that day. Did you know those things snarl and growl and have teeth? Try to bite your face off? Because while I'm standing there holding this turtle, it lunges. I thought they had little old bitty short necks. Did you know that's not the case? They got real long necks. And that little old, that, that, that little old nothing, it was big old head came out of that shell and our eyes met. And he opened his mouth and he was trying to rip my face apart. Reconstructive surgery. I mean, he was going for it. He lunged and that head came out and I just heard this big snap. I know why they call them snapping turtles now. They make a snap when they try to kill you. It's the last thing you hear right before you die if you mess with one. And I've heard all kinds of stories about how if he'd have grabbed a hold of my face, it'd have waited until it thundered before he let go, you know. There's all kinds of tales. Well, what I want you to know is on that day, my perspective totally changed when it comes to turtles. Every time I see one now, I wonder, is that thing trying to kill me? Like, even if one's going across the road, I have a deep, deep respect for it. Because I don't know if it's going to grab something under my car and flip it over. 
I mean, I have a total different view of turtles now. My perspective has completely changed. When I see one, I just I, I pull out like my phone and try to figure out, is this one dangerous? Is it poisonous? Is it going to bite me? What is, you know, I don't know anything about them except for I'm scared of them now. And I, I mean, we, we picked up a little turtle not too long ago, but I had to look up and make sure it wasn't the kind that was going to grow big real fast because I just don't know much about them. But my perspective changed because of an experience. Going into that day at camp, I had no idea that, that turtles uh, were as, some turtles were as dangerous as they are. But now I see them all totally different. My perspective has completely changed. Today, what I want to spend some time talking to you about is the perspective of the church. Earlier in class, we talked about the personality of the church. That, that, that our personality needs to be that we're motivated by compassion that we would much, much rather include, forget, help people see forgiveness and include folks than hold on to things and exclude them because we understand what forgiveness means. Of all people on the world, on all people on the earth, all people in this town, all people that you know, all the people in your family, we're the ones that should understand forgiveness the most. And it should be the compassion that was shown to us that outshapes the personality of the church. But now I want to talk to you a little bit about our perspective, how we see things. In Matthew chapter 19, we have a very familiar story. It's a story that we know a lot about. We've heard a lot of sermons on this. A lot of people have talked about the rich young ruler. There was a young man, probably a lot like us, he was a good man. He had always been a good man. He apparently grew up in a religious home. He had either inherited a lot of wealth or uh, uh, somehow worked hard and as a young man was, was wealthy. And he came to Jesus because he recognized and appreciated who Jesus was. And he said, good teacher, what do I need to do to have eternal life? I don't know what Jesus saw in this gentleman. And I don't know what this gentleman saw in Jesus' eyes as they looked at each other. But I know that it was love because one of the accounts says that Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, as it continued, but Jesus said, well, you know the law. There's some commandments you need to keep. And it's kind of like the guy went, yes, I've done those. I've been doing those all my life. Okay, I'm doing fine. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. All I need to know is that I'm doing good. I just need to hear a pat on the back that I was doing all right. And that's, that's sort of what he got at the beginning. That's sort of what he got was, hey, man, you're doing good. You know the law, just... Do the law. That's what you're supposed to do. Do what you're supposed to do. And that's what he had been doing. Jesus said, well, there's still one more thing you need to do. I want you to sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. The man went away sorrowful because he had a lot of stuff. What if you came across a passage that completely convinced you 
That God wanted you to sell everything you have and give it away and go to a mission field or something. That He commanded you, He wanted you to do that. That's not necessarily what this passage is teaching. It's not what this passage is teaching. It's more of a concept and more of a concept that He was giving Him. Jesus was standing right there. Sell everything you have and follow Me. That's what you need to do. Now, if Jesus was standing right here, we would be willing to do that. But we're supposed to live this life and navigate it the best we can. But what happens next is what's interesting. That's an interesting story, and we know about that story. But what happens next is what's so interesting. Because Peter has a conversation here. After Jesus sort of explains something about that, this young man was there and Verse 23, Jesus said to His disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some have said that He's talking about the, a, a hole in the wall in Jerusalem. There were areas kind of like the, those hallways in the back of malls, you know, where the stores where they deliver stuff. Well, in Jerusalem, all the way around, because there were certain gates, the merchants... When it would set up around the, the edges of those walls, and there, was, there were these, these areas that were dug out, and they were kind of small archways for them to take the trash out or to bring some deliveries in so they didn't have to bring everything all through town. And they had actually, uh, there's a custom that says they had actually taught camels to get down on their knees and crawl through those archways with whatever merchandise they were bringing from wherever they were bringing it from. And they called that the eye of the needle. And some have said that's what Jesus was referring to as the eye of the needle because it can be done, it's just hard. But the problem with that is something that we overlook in our translation sometimes. Luke, when he gives this account, Luke was a physician. Luke, when he gives his accounts of this, and maybe it was that Jesus said it a different way at a different time, but when Luke gives his account of this, he uses a different word for needle. One was a sewing needle. It's what Matthew used. But Luke, Dr. Luke, used the word rubus for a, for a surgical needle. That tells us that he was actually talking about a needle. It's easier for you to take a camel and stuff it through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. And that was off of this discussion with this rich young guy. And so... They then asked Jesus another question. They asked Jesus, Who then can be saved? Verse 25, when His disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed. Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible. With God all things are possible. Verse 27, Peter. I love Peter. Listen to me, I love Peter. I, I think he's one of the most misunderstood people in the New Testament, if not the whole Bible. The things you know about Peter are his mistakes. The things you know about Peter is when, when he fell in the water. When he denied Jesus. All those things that we say that he was a, a coward. Listen to me. I plan on spending eternity with Peter. I don't have to apologize for calling him a coward. Especially when you read everything that surrounds the mistakes he made and you see 
that the mistakes he made were actually in in a, a d- deep desire to do what was right. I wish we had time to talk about all that, but go back and study and look at how he was supposed to deny Jesus three times, and there had been three times already where he didn't deny him. And maybe he thought it was already over. And so he went and followed him and went into preservation mode. Let me tell you something. If I was in that boat and I saw Jesus walking out on the water, I would not say, Jesus, can I come out to you? I'd be saying, Jesus, get back in this boat. But Peter said, if that's you, I'm going to come out with you. I'd have never stepped over the side, would you? I don't swim real well. I don't really like water that much. I sink straight to the bottom. So that's not the, one I, that's not the way I would have done this. I wouldn't have handled it that way. So I have a deep respect for Peter. So when Peter says things, when Peter asks questions, I pay close attention because Peter's always trying to do the right thing. I firmly believe that. So Peter answered and said to him, verse 27, See, we've left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? What an interesting question. They're standing there having just had a conversation with a young man who had a lot of money, but was unwilling to give the money up and follow Jesus. And Peter says, well, Jesus, I left the family business. I I left my boat, my fishing company. I I left my family, and I follow you around. You know, he had a mother-in-law, so obviously he had a wife. So I, I've, I've, I've done what you told that guy to do. You asked him to give up everything and follow you, and he left sorrowful. But I have. We have. We're standing right here. What are we going to get? It's a pretty fair question, you would think, Right? And you would think that Jesus' response would be, man, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to forget this. I'll remember this. But Jesus takes this as an opportunity to give perspective. To show them how they ought to view folks. How they ought to see their reward and their relationship with God. He does compliment them, but then gives them a parable. His compliment is, in verse 28, Assuredly I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters, or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for My name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But, But many who are first will be last. The last first. And he he wants to be soft with Peter. And I think he wants to be soft with Peter because he understands that Peter's question is probably coming from a good place. A place that makes sense, a logical place. You asked him to do something, he wouldn't do it. But we've done it. What are we going to get? He said, "Oh, oh, you're going to get plenty. Peter, I'm going to take care of you, okay? A hundredfold. Well, I think we're all going to get a hundredfold, don't you think? Everything in heaven is better than everything here. The best of the best here is worse than the worst in heaven. 
Any of us that get to heaven are going to be blessed a hundredfold. I'll clean up the floor and put up the chairs. I don't care, I just want to go. And I feel like Peter probably felt that same way. And this was probably based on a conversation they had had earlier because he mentioned something they clearly would have known about with his sitting on the thrones and, and, and judging the nations. But then Jesus tells a story. And this story is, in a, complete, is a complete response to the question. Look what we've done. Look how good we are. What do we get? He says, I, there was a guy who had a bunch of land. And he needed some workers in that land. So he went out in the morning. There were some people there. They're in the marketplace. And he agreed. He said, will you come out and work in my, work in my uh, field? I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a day's wage. I'll give you what's fair. I've got this vineyard. I need it taken care of. Would you come help me with it? Well, let me tell you a little bit about that. When I lived in Texas, there was an area. We lived just north of Dallas. And there was an area where um, folks from different nationalities gathered. And if you wanted some work done around your house, you could pull into that place. As a matter of fact, I, a buddy of mine said, hey, I want you to go with me somewhere. We need to get some folks to help us do something. And as we pulled to that parking lot, he said, lock your doors. I locked my truck doors, and all of a sudden my truck starts shaking because people have come out of everywhere into this parking lot. I didn't even see them anywhere. They came flying out and were grabbing my truck handles and were pulling trying to get in. He rolled the window down and told them to calm down, told them exactly what he needed they went in and we paid them to work for the day. I'm not quite sure that was legal, by the way. But we did it, and it was all on him. So I'll let him take care of that. But anyway, that's what's going on here. Folks who didn't have jobs, folks who needed money, folks who were down their luck, and folks who needed to supply for their families, they'd get up in the morning early and they'd go out to a, a, a place when Jesus, excuse me, when Paul's in Thessalonica, this happened, do you remember? He went to the marketplace. They went to the marketplace and got a mob there. Went down to Jason's house and ran him out. This is a common thing that was in their culture. If you are a man who had needed workers, you knew where to go because there were people who wanted to work. And if you were the kind of person who wanted to work hard, if you were the kind of person who was interested in your family, if you were the kind of person who was interested in um, um, taking care of your family, you were responsible enough to get up in the morning and go out there. So he went out first thing in the morning and agreed, and he took some workers. And so it was a little bit later. It was a little bit later that he decided to go out there. Our, our time frame was about three hours. Nine o'clock rolls around, he goes and gets more workers and takes them out there. Twelve o'clock rolls around. Three o'clock rolls around. Five o'clock, it's five o'clock. He goes back out there and fills his truck up with workers and brings them out to his vineyard. You got folks who have been working all day in the heat. They did it because they loved their family. They did it because they were responsible. They got up and they got after it and they did what they were supposed to do. 
You got folks who came on board a little later. They came in a little later in the morning. You got folks who came out at lunchtime. You got folks who came out in the early afternoon. You got folks who came out and worked for one hour. One hour. Six o'clock rolls around. The work day's over. The guy who had been working for an hour shows up and he gives him a Daenerys, a day's wage. The guy who had been working for three hours, he hands him the same amount of money. The guy who had been working since lunch, same amount of money. The game guy who came out in the mid-morning, same amount of money. And that guy who had been out there all day thought, man, I'm about to rack up. If he gave that guy who had been out here for an hour the same thing that he told me he was going to give me, there's no telling how much he's going to give me. And when he got in line, he gave him exactly the same thing. Seems unfair, doesn't it? You were the responsible one. You were the one who got up and got going when nobody else would. You were the one that stayed in there through the heat of the day. You were helping other people who were coming in later than you. You were helping them pick up their burdens and carry their their weight in the job. Don't you deserve more? Wasn't that what Peter was asking? I've given up everything for you. I've been here from the beginning. What am I going to get? The response is interesting. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 20. But he answered... One of them had said, friend. I mean, that's the interesting part of this. He says, friend. He doesn't call him a worker. He doesn't speak derogatorily. He, he, he tells him, you, he had a connection with this guy. You've been out here working with me all day, friend. I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me, Ferdinarius? Take what's yours and go your way. I, I wish to give. To the last man, the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I'm good? So the last will be first and the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. i got to be honest with you. It's hard not to side with that guy who's been there all day. It's really hard not to side with that guy. I mean, just normal thought process and basic understandings of business and human resources and management would tell you that the guy who's been here longer than everybody else deserves a bonus. Time and a half. Something. He he deserves something. But Jesus was trying to very softly alter this perspective of Peter with his fair question. This is the first thing that you and I need to know if we're going to have the right perspective as the church. The first thing is this, is that my salvation is more than fair. What God has offered me is more than fair. It's better than I deserve. I don't earn it. I never ever can work hard enough to gain it. 
what God has offered me, what God has given me, the opportunity to have my sins forgiven, the opportunity to live with Him in heaven forever, the opportunity to avoid the heartaches and the guilt and the shame that come from sin reigning in our lives. A peace that surpasses understanding. A comfort that only He can provide. A calmness and a confidence and an assurance and a hope. It's better than fair. It's more than I deserve. I was very happy with that deal on the day I was baptized. On the day that I was baptized, I was very, very happy about that deal. Let me tell you about the day I was baptized. I was 11 years old. I'd gone to camp. I came back home and there were a bunch of people who had been baptized. I thought I needed to be baptized, so I told my preacher, I want you to baptize me. And he asked me some questions and I answered him. I knew all those answers. I'd heard the people say that word repent. Wasn't real sure what it meant, but I remember them saying it. I know they talked about confession. I'd stand up in front of my friends and tell Jesus, the people I believed that Jesus was the Son of God. That's easy. Yeah, I'll let you take me down in the water and I'll get baptized. That's great. I was a Bible major at Freed Hardeman. You're supposed to know everything when you're a Bible major at Freed Hardeman, right? I've forgotten so much more. You know, I used to know so much more than I do now. When you're a Bible major at Freed Hardeman, you know everything. All they got to do is ask you. You'll tell them. You'll tell them everything you know. I was working with a church as an intern. I was baptizing people. And as I would study with them and talk to them, I'd think, I didn't do that. That's not what I did. So it was a Sunday afternoon. I called Billy Smith, the dean of the Bible department up, and I said, I need you to meet me down at Estes Church of Christ and baptize me for forgiveness of sins because I'm not sure. As a matter of fact, I know I didn't understand that. And I remember being baptized on that day, and I remember loving, loving the deal that I got. It was a great deal. It was a great deal. I did what God, I, I, I decided to do what God wanted me to do. I decided to let Him make the decisions for me because I trust Him. He created me. He made me. He knows how I think. He knows what I need. He knows my feelings. He created my emotions. I trust Him enough that He's going to tell me what I need to do to live this life the very best possible way. I trust Him. And that day He took away my sins. Did you know that? They were all gone. It's a great deal. Pretty excited about that deal. That's the way that man was. He got up in the morning. He needed to provide for his family. He was going to beat the crowd out there and get up there before the sun came up. He'd take the first job that paid money. The guy agreed to give him a full day's wage for a full day work. Pretty good deal. Matter of fact, he's pretty excited about it because he got a job. It meant that he was going to sustain his family for another day. It meant that they, when he came home, he was going to bring food. It meant that, that, that his children weren't going to have to be hungry tonight. It meant that he was going to be able to pay the power bill or whatever the case was. It's a great deal for him. 
The salvation that you and I have been offered is more than fair. And you and I have to start right there when it comes to our perspective. When it comes to how we see the church, when it comes to how we see other people, we have to start right there. Everything that's been given to me, everything that I have through the knowledge of Jesus Christ and obedience to what He's told me to do is more than fair. It's a salvation which even the angels desire to look into. It's a salvation, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12, through 12, that the, the Old Testament prophets would have loved to have had. Our salvation is better than fair. But the second thing that I need for you to understand when it comes to our perspective based on this parable and the way Jesus wanted to see His church His arrogance cannot hinder my desire for others to be rewarded. My arrogance, what I think I deserve, what I think about what they've done, what I think about what I've not done, when I think of all the times I said no, when they said yes, and I think of all the times that I said yes and they said no, When I think of all the times that I did right and they did wrong, when I had the exact same opportunities as they did, but I chose the right thing, because of that I'm somehow better than them. I cannot allow arrogance. I can't allow arrogance to hinder my desire for other people to be rewarded. Do you remember what Moses said in Exodus 32? They had made that golden calf. He was furious. God was furious. It was a terrible time. It was an opportunity for God just said, we're starting over again. Look at the humility. Moses was named among the most humble in all the Bible. And this is one of the reasons why. He says, verse 32, Yet now, if you will forgive their sins, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. I will trade my soul for theirs. Moses had done it right. Moses had told them to stay away from the idols. Moses stood up when he wanted to sit down. He had walked in when he wanted to go out. He had spoke up when he wanted to be quiet. And he said, blot me out of your book and forgive them. Arrogance cannot hinder my desire for others to be rewarded. And the last thing I want you to see is this. Somehow, some way, we have to try to see things the way God sees them. It's about perspective. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-7, through 7, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. Let's talk about perspective for just a second. Let's look at this story from the landowner's point of view for just a minute. He has a vineyard. 
It's where his wealth is. And the storms have rolled in. And he's about to lose his harvest. He's about to lose it all. He's about to lose everything that he's worked so hard for. Everything he's given so much for. And he knows he doesn't have much time to get this harvest in. Everything that's not in by a certain time will be lost. Everything that's brought in will be of great value. So he goes out early in the morning and says, listen, I need some workers in my field. Will you come help me? Will you team up with me? Will you be my partner? Will you be a fellow worker with me? And the guys in the morning agreed and they came out there. I'll give you what's fair. It's a great deal. He goes out and he says, they're doing great, but we're not going to get enough. We need more people. We need more workers. We need more folks on our side. I'm going to go get some more. And he goes out and he says, listen, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose it all. Whatever's not brought in by a certain time is lost and I need your help. Will you come help me? And so they come out and he says, I'll give you what's fair. It's a great deal. He goes out at lunch and says, it's not enough. We're not getting enough done. Everything's going to be lost. We can still save more. I'll give you what's fair if you'll come out and join us and be a part of this team and work with us. He went out at 3 o'clock and said, I've got more we can accomplish. There's more that can be done. We can do more. Will you come help us? And he saw the sun setting. And there was still going to be a lot of that harvest that was left out in the field. A lot of those crops that were going to die, never to gain their full potential. He swept away. He didn't want to lose any of it. So he goes out and he goes, I got an hour left. It's worth everything to me. I'll give you what's fair if you'll just come work with me. Will you come join my team? Will you come out here and help me get this harvest? It's about the harvest, people. It's about the vineyard. It's not about the workers. It's about what the landowner is trying to accomplish. Salvation of mankind. And it is an honor. One of the highest honors that can be given to a person. It's called a fellow worker with God. It's all about our perspective and how we see things. And the perspective of the church is very important. Maybe there's someone here today who has not been baptized for forgiveness of your sins. We'd love to take your Bible in your hand and show you exactly what God promises and what He expects. It's our hope. It's our belief, we have confidence that you'll see the exact same things that we have. Living the faithful life of a child of God is the very best way to live this life. It's the very best way to live. Maybe there's someone here who's been baptized, but you've not been living your life right. You've been looking at it all wrong. There's still time, and we're on your side. We're motivated by compassion. And we're here to help. So if we can help you in any way, please let us know as we stand and sing.